Hello, everyone, and welcome to I4CP's Next Practices Weekly podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Tom Stone, a senior research analyst at I4CP, the Institute for Corporate Productivity, the leading authority on next practices in human capital. The Next Practices Weekly podcast is one of the ways we share those practices with you by interviewing top HR leaders and facilitating discussion with the broader HR community on what high performance organizations are doing differently with their people practices. From HR strategy to talent acquisition, learning and development, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and much more. Recently, I hosted a conversation with my colleague, Catherine Brecken, who like me is a senior research analyst here at I4CP. She has led two of our recent studies on culture fitness and AI in HR. So we discussed some key findings from each and at the intersection of those two. This included a bit of a deeper dive into four of the traits of fit cultures, being employee focused, inclusive, quality centered, and learning focused. But before we get to that, did you know that I4CP recently, and for the seventh time, has made Inc. Magazine's Inc. 5000 list? These prestigious rankings provide a data-driven look at the most successful companies within the economy's most dynamic segment, its independent entrepreneurial businesses. Since the pandemic, I4CP has doubled its community of enterprise members, made up of mostly large, globally recognized companies. Leveraging our next practice research and data-driven insights, members connect with each other every day to discuss, debate, and share ideas on practical strategies to overcome challenges and make better human capital investments. For more information on becoming an enterprise member, please visit our website at i4cp.com. Okay, now for the discussion on culture fitness and AI and HR with my colleague, Catherine Brecken. Thank you, Tom. Zeta, could you help us get that poll up? Thank you. This was a question we posed quite a bit um, in 2022 um, to organizations and um, uh, led to the culture, it was part of the culture fitness report that came out and that we talked about this spring uh, on this show as, as well as at our conference and other places. Um, so if we could just take a minute and we're kind of going to just level set, find out where everybody's at. Tell us how your culture has changed over the past year. Tom, do you have any bets? No? I was on mute there oh. for just a moment. Uh, <laughs> no worries. Uh, I, I think um, I, what we've heard previously is that a lot of cultures maybe had some bumpy bumpy patches over the past three years, but that overall many did get healthier. Um, so I, I would say if there's a lean, it's probably going to lean towards the healthy side, but a health, but a good number, uh, probably uh, neutral or or maybe slightly more toxic. Yes, I'm going to go with more toxic. Oh, darn, I was very wrong. I was only thinking because of all the headlines about returning to office, economic uncertainty, had layoffs that um, that might have had uh, you know been might have changed the trend in, in culture health that we've been seeing. Um, but yeah, it looks like 44%, the majority of you, your, your culture has become slightly healthier over the past year, which is wonderful. Um, and can you define healthy? Uh, I am afraid I missed the earlier calls. That's a great question, Adi. Um, it's one of those that we kind of leave up to you as a subjective, um, but it's, it's one in which, you know, there is uh, trust 
and um, and people feel free to 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 pro, like to speak up. Uh, it's places where you want your employees employees feel compelled to do their best work. Employee engagement is high. Um, we do have a, a formal definition in the study, but that I think kind of covers the gist of it. However, it is a subjective term, and we often you know we we defer to you to in your organization. Um, let's see. All right, let's share and dig into the presentation. Okay, I'm not seeing share. We're, hold on one second. There we go. Okay. So for those of you who did miss the earlier calls and don't or, don't, or just don't remember, that's okay. Um, I4CP conducted an online survey. We had about 960 respondents in the fall of 2022. Uh, it was a global survey panel comprised of participants from 53 different countries. And approximately half of the organizations represented are what we call large, which we define by employing a thousand or more employees. Um, so much of the data in this report refers to those 449 large employers in the study, in addition to um, the many qualitative interviews that we did um, to better understand what organizations were doing to improve their culture, what worked, what didn't. And we'll talk about some of those practices today. Um, just a quick reminder here about why we care about culture. This is what I like to say is the business case, um, why culture matters. So we asked participants how various workforce outcomes like employee productivity, engagement, retention, et cetera, changed over the past two years. And our regression analysis of the data then found the health of the culture plays a significant important role in predicting, um, in predicting employee productivity or improvements in employee productivity. Um, so there's not just a significant correlation between the two, our data found that culture directly impacted perceived changes to employee productivity, which in turn then has a large impact on market performance. Um, this is equally important because measuring employee productivity is a conundrum for many organizations these days. Um, just like organizational culture can be a little bit nebulous to pin down, productivity is even worse. Um, so when we think about how do we measure, talk about productivity, culture can be sort of the canary in the coal mine um, and, and helping you understand what's going on with your productivity. So there are a variety of metrics that we discuss in the report um, that talk about how to measure culture and the most effective ways. Um, just to summarize, many and frequently uh, is the, the gist of that. Um, but your culture health then can sort of be a guide or, or a, a um, rule of thumb on what's going on likely with your productivity. Um, all right. So more of why culture matters. These are what I like to call the symptoms of fit cultures. All good things. Um, organizations found to have the fittest cultures in our study report significantly higher employee net promoter scores than those with unfit cultures over the past two years. Companies with healthy cultures reported excellent EMPS scores nine times more often than their unfit counterparts. Um, they were also 4.5 times more likely to report an increase in employee engagement scores since the onset of, onset of the pandemic. Very fit cultures are four times more likely to have experienced uh, improved retention um, and are three times more likely to have reported their ability to attract top talent since 2020 improved as well. Unsurprisingly, this has resulted in improved productivity. Um, organizations that have fit cultures are two times more likely to report increased employee productivity during the same period. And much of this stems from the overall well-being of the workforce. 
um, survey respondents representing organizations with fit cultures were three times more likely to indicate well-being improved in comparison to their counterparts. And finally, they were 1.5 times more likely to report improved diversity or representation over that period of time. And so these are the seven habits of very healthy cultures. Um, these habits involve flexibility, learning mindsets and leaders. Um, and I wanna take these and give these uh, culture fitness, you know, seven healthy habits, a, a little bit of a twist. I wanna talk not just about healthy cultures, but I wanna talk about how to create change ready cultures today. You, uh, you, boof. You just got a surprise of where I'm going next. Um, basically, you can't read a business case study these days without realizing how much success depends on culture. Um, the unwritten rules of organizational behavior can make the difference between success and failure. You can't have innovation without the right culture. You can't have high market performance without the right culture. You can't thrive over the long time without culture. And so if you wanna bring your organization into this dynamic 21st century that continues to surprise in terms of external events, I said surprise, not delight, uh, you need to build the right culture. And so we thought today, let's talk about how leaders can strategically use their culture to adapt and thrive through change. Hey, Catherine, uh, mm -hmm. one thing I, I just like to, to note for those on the call, I know uh, many organizations are sort of uh, looking at their organization's culture. Um, often that question of how do you define a healthy culture or a toxic culture comes up as it did in the chat already today. Um, one of the things that we like to do with our studies when we ask that sort of broad question up front, as we did both in the poll today and in the study itself, is we don't want to presuppose the characteristics or the behaviors or the practices that would define something like something vague like culture. Uh, and so we ask that initial question. And then through the through the survey and through the analysis, we determine, as you just showed, seven habits of a healthy culture. Um, one of our previous sessions honed in on the, the characteristics of a toxic culture. And so that's sort of what we get by at the end of the analysis, at the end of the study. Um, but for those of you that are on the call that are maybe needing to go to your your, your C-suite or others in your organization, maybe you're looking at, at transforming or renovating your organization's culture and you need to start with some sort of definition. That's where these traits, characteristics, habits, if you will, the practices that we share in our research can really help you to define, well, what, what exactly do we mean by healthy culture? What exactly do we mean by toxic culture? Um, th that's where you can build your own definition from those lists. True, and I, I also failed to say that, so, we asked for that sort of self-assessment, right, of your culture. And then we also gave survey participants 26 uh, culture traits from which to choose to, to, to select is what, what are the top, I think we said five that, that best describe your culture. We also did culture types. Um, and from that, we triangulated through statistical analysis, uh, I think a pretty good definition of the, what we're calling the six uh, culture traits of healthy cultures. Um, and we'll get to those. If you stick with me through the hour, we'll be, you'll, you'll, you'll get that reward. You'll get to see that list. Um, but we also have nine toxic traits um, that were significantly correlated and help explain um, how people self-assess their culture and, and, and tended to be, you know, in the more toxic range. Um, so that's how we've kind of come to defining in this data, who are the healthy ones, who are the toxic ones. Um, it, it was based on several measures and we didn't just rely on self-assessment. Um, right. we, we also asked for a, a lot more involved in that. So. Um, Stick with me. We'll get there, I promise. Yeah. Um, but a lot of this is also going to be in the brief that I know Zeta has probably posted already for the culture fitness study. So, um, you know, take a look at that too at the end of the call. Uh, I think that'll also answer a lot of the background questions. 
Um, one of the key reasons I'm still I'm still framing why we're talking about change and culture today, <laughs> but one of the key reasons we're talking about it is because organizations' priorities have done so dramatically in the past eight months. Um, this slide from our productivity predicament study is really telling. We saw empathy drop from the most important priority leaders were supposed to focus on in conversations with their teams to the bottom of the list. Um, and you can see organizational goal achievement is now the top priority that leaders are supposed to be focusing on. Uh, this whiplash can slow productivity as well. Employees are confused. You know, leaders are so focused on one type of relationship with you at one point, and then suddenly they're being told that it's gone to the bottom of the list. It's exhausting, and it begs the question, why should I pay attention to what my leaders are saying now when it could change in a minute? Um, and if Zeta hasn't done so already, I know she's going to post the link to the publicly hey, available on. executive Can brief hear me? for the study as well. Oh, wait, hold on. Oh. All right. Another change du jour is generative AI. Um, we have a study that's coming out September 21st that examines how generative AI is affecting HR. And we also have some publicly available resources from our AI toolkit that recently came out um, that we'll post here. Uh, today, we're going to talk about and tie these two themes together, culture change, focusing on how um, organizational cultures can adapt to rapidly changing technological landscape. But I think you could really kind of put that to any of the external events um, in addition to technology, such as you know, economic upsets and how they affect uh, and how the organization needs to be ready to adapt and be agile. So before we you know, get into this endeavor, I, I always like to keep in mind that um, this is from our original culture fitness study. Only 15% of culture change efforts are viewed as a success. So we're, we're, we're gonna talk about these techniques and these ideas today. Uh, we're going to do some brainstorming, but remember that this is a challenge for um, most organizations and it's hard to get right. Um, so with that in mind, let's do another level set. Um, knowing how hard change can be, let's, uh, let's identify how, how is change generally viewed in your organization? How would you, uh, how would you best describe that? Um, you have a couple options here and I will I'll allow you to sort of read through those. While this, while everyone's voting, and thank you for for reading through the, uh, the responses there, this is something we've asked about several times uh, over the years, dating back to our agility study from 2017. And it's always interesting to see from you know year to year. We, we I guess we haven't asked it every year, but we've probably asked it in three or four different studies. Yeah, I'm interested to see what organizations will say, just coming out of the generative AI study that we concluded at the end of July, um, organizations are, are really slow to adapt to that technology, even though it's uh, imploded. You know, it had over 100 million users within the first two months of ChatGPT 3.5. Um, so, okay, as wearing us down, there's been too much for too long, 50%. That is, that is interesting and I'm, I am not surprised. Uh, and, and I would say that's a bit stronger uh, than than we've seen in some of our studies. And usually we have a little bit more of an even spread across all of these. You're right. That's a good point, Tom. Um, not a good sign. I'm happy to see, though, at the, the top of the hour, we saw that more, you know, more cultures are getting at least slightly healthier. Yes, uh, during this yes, time that period, was positive. But, but change is dragging us down. Um, I get it. All right. Well, thank you for doing that. So it makes this slide, I think, a little bit more interesting to comprehend when you think about what you know 
the benchmarks of this particular audience here. Um, this is from our culture fitness study and the blue bars represent the high performance organizations and the gray bars mark the low performance organizations. And as Tom mentioned at the top of the hour, I4CP loves to look at its data through the lens of market performance. And so we look at organizations, revenue growth, market share, profitability, customer satisfaction, those four items over a five year period. And we create an index that allows us to compare and contrast practices of those in the top quartile or high performance organizations with those in the low, um, the low quartile. Um, as you can see, um, and, and I'm, I'm happy to say, I guess the high performance organizations were far more likely to um, view changes normal, expected, manageable, um, or even you can see here in the middle as part of our business model to be the disruptor. Um, they're more than twice than twice as likely, almost three times as likely to, uh, to view change as part of the business model and to be a disruptor. And when you compare that to who had healthy cultures and who had toxic cultures, so healthier cultures were statistically more likely to say changes viewed as normal, expected, and manageable. They were also statistically more likely to say as it, it's viewed as part of the business model to be the disruptor. Um, Toxic cultures were far more likely to say they view change as wearing us down. There's been too much for too long. As a threat, it destabilizes what we do as overwhelming and beyond our ability to manage. And so, you know, very similar to what you see the differentials between market performance, um, you're seeing with those with healthy cultures and those with toxic cultures. There's a strong connection to being able to roll with change and having a healthy culture. Um, and really, you know, it is the culture that makes you know, the practices and the behaviors that allow change to roll. You know? So that's, that's where we're gonna dig in today. We're gonna talk about new habits to build a change-ready culture. Um, and what's so great about a change-ready culture? Uh, they are three times more likely to have high market performance. They are more likely to have higher retention, engagement, productivity, well-being, and better culture health. Um, they are more likely to have higher levels of innovation and they are more likely to embrace generative AI. This is from our study that I mentioned that's coming out in September. Is HR ready or is HR already behind in the AI revolution? Um, and we are going to be doing a workshop on this, a pre-HR tech workshop on that Monday um, before the HR tech conference. And then uh, we are also going to do SAE, Kevin Oaks, our CEO, and I are also going to do a session Thursday. Um, as well at the conference on the, the findings from the study and the recommendations on how HR is in, in incorporating generative AI, how it's changing HR. Um, but we asked participants about their senior leadership's position on employees using generative AI at work. And there were several categories to choose from. The, the first you see up here is, is fully embrace. These are leaders who want to see how generative AI impacts the organization. Um, thoughtful. These are leaders who um, are experimenting with generative AI, encouraging its use, but have put parameters on the usage. Um, and cautious, those are organizations where leaders are largely in a wait and see mode. They're interested, they're paying attention, but they wanna see what others are doing first. 21% of organizations have left it a mystery to employees, meaning they haven't staked out a claim. They haven't announced a position and employees don't necessarily know whether they can use it or not. Um, and interestingly, we are finding out more and more cases where um, employees within the organization are using generative AI without the 
organization's approval or knowledge. Um, and so, you know, the, the underlying part of that is, you know, are, are they engaging in risky behaviors and are they putting intellectual property and sensitive data at risk? Uh, but that's from the study. So 4% of organizations have completely forbidden. And then there were 6% um, of participants who literally just didn't know what their organization's position on, on um, generative AI usage was. Um, and so what's interesting about this is 42% are exploring what generative AI can do and 52%, the majority of organizations are not. So we know, you know, that most of the organizations aren't doing anything about generative AI yet, right? Um, but it's a major external impactor of organizations and work processes and, and all of the things. Um, and so we talked about the seven healthy habits of our culture fitness survey and, and the interviews that we surfaced. Um, what we see here are nine specific strategies that we talk about in culture fitness um, among those seven healthy habits. Um, but I want you to see these because um, these are the ones we were able to specifically single out, the practices that we were able to specifically single out and examine in regression models to understand if you take this action, will it significantly impact or influence the health of your culture? What you see here are the percentages are R squares. And you can read the report for the explanation, but essentially you're looking at, if I set aside the size of the organization and its market performance, how much would this strategy move the needle on the scale of culture fitness at the average organization? And as you can see, leaders' consistent demonstration of organizational values reigns supreme in its ability to move the needle on culture, explaining 43% of how participants rated their culture health when controlling for size and market performance. Training leaders, that second circle you see, training leaders on the desired behaviors and values of the organization is another fruitful strategy. Respondents who report that their companies have very healthy cultures were four times more likely to say this training strategy is in place and it explained 15 to 14% of healthy cultures, depending on what level is focused on. Um, so leaders have a big say when it comes to culture change. And if we want our culture to embrace change, we need to train leaders in the right way to do this. So to, to frame where we're about to go, I would love to hear from you in the chat. Tell us about a time when a leader's example of an organization's value stood out to you. I would love to hear in the chat. I think this is going to be very inspirational, um, but also give, give us all some ideas um, on ways that we could exhibit our organization's values and inspire those around us within our, within our companies. And so yeah, Tom, certainly, gonna, certainly yeah. not all leaders are, are equally good uh, at, at modeling and living the organization's value. So uh, look forward to seeing a few responses to that in the chat. Um, speaking of the chat, uh, just want to remind everyone you can ask questions there as you have been. We've had a pretty active chat so far today. I'd asked a question when you mentioned earlier change ready organizations. That's a phrase that I hadn't heard much say five years ago. Uh, we did a study, as I said, on, on agility, uh, which is obviously related, if not synonymous with being change ready. Uh, and so I asked, what, what, what terms do you use in your organizations? Do you use the term change ready? Do you use agile? Uh, one person said, yes, agile. Someone else said resilient and someone else said adaptive. So we've got a nice little thesaurus going on here in the chat uh, as to how people are describing initiatives that are being focused on, on whether or not their culture is change ready. I love that. That's fantastic. And so I'm not seeing any any examples here, um, but uh, maybe people are st still typing. Hey, oh yes, this this is Cordell. So I'll give you one that's actually 
kind of the opposite, I think, of what you're looking for. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I yeah. can hear you. Thank you. Well, yeah. ju just because I think it illustrates the point, the number, the top point you made on the prior slide. And this is from an organization that touts how much it cares about employees. However, in the past year, it, it experienced a significant slowdown in its business and it uh, did not announce, but was well known to have eliminated a number of people. And when leader, when it's obvious that you're doing that and leaders don't talk about it, it's a perfect example of when they don't, uh, their org leaders' values are opposite of what they preach and then how that results in a negative culture. Absolutely. I, I think that's a fantastic example. It really, I mean, it takes a long time to establish trust in a culture and very, you know, very little time, seconds sometimes to, to break it. Yeah, a good example of a, of a toxic behavior there instead of a healthy one. And we are getting a few responses here. Um, current CHRO is actively demonstrating inclusion by how she supports uh, the systems and processes, recruiting for open leadership roles. Another response, uh, again, related to respect and inclusion, CEO came to the defense of a frontline manager when an EVP was overusing their powers. Both good examples. Absolutely. And Tom, what about you? Do you have an example? Oh, good question. Uh, I, I would, again, go back to the word trust. I, I certainly um, feel like some organizations, whether they call out the word trust in their values or not, uh, it's a part of their culture. And I have certainly felt um, most comfortable working in organizations with high degrees of transparency and trust, which go hand in hand. And when my direct managers or their my, maybe my skip level boss uh, exemplify uh, being as transparent as possible, those have been the best organizations that I've ever worked with, including I4CP as one of those, uh, I'll say one of those two. Just uh, and what I know about you, that makes a lot of sense too, and that kind of brings to mind that like the values you see your leaders demonstrating are going to be different than, from the values that your coworkers may see too, because like de depending on your own values and how you anchor that, um, certain things are going to stand out and, and others are are not. I love Jim Ranton's example: an employee got drunk on the job, and the CEO approved CEO approved retaining the employee as long as they sought treatment and signed a retention agreement. I think that's a fantastic example. Um, mine would be, I was like new on the job and I had a long late night meeting with a bunch of the leadership and we were fine tuning a document that I had opened from an email and never saved. And right after that meeting, I slammed my computer down and went to have dinner with my family and I returned to the document the next morning and I, it was gone. My computer had rebooted overnight. And, um, and having to own up to that silly, stupid mistake to, to my new boss and then to the CEO was um, terrifying. And, um, but what my boss did was he, he was about to go on vacation um, the next day. He cleared time on his schedule and recreated the document with me. Um, and then when I sent the new document to the leadership and I fessed up completely to what I'd done and the mistakes and how I was never, you know, this is my process and how I'll make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, the CEO also reiterated, you know, this happens. And um, I'm glad we were able to recreate it. And that was a psychological safety, but really, uh, also demonstrated, I think, the values um, in the organization that, that leadership wants to aspire to. And it's really just like one of those powerful moments that'll stand out in a career. So, getting some well, other good examples. Like uh, thanks, everyone, yeah. for, for chiming in. These, these are great. 
Um, since you shared that personal one, I'll, I'll share just really quickly. Um, uh, I had a, a manager in my first ever corporate job, so maybe 20 years ago, uh, and she made it very clear that, that me as an employee was more important than, say, some of the tech or equipment we had, because in my third week on the job, I ran over my laptop with my car. Yeah. And, uh, and I was uh, in my twenties, very young, super worried, uh, not knowing, you know, the, the value of an employee necessarily over equipment. Uh, but they made it very clear. They weren't going to fire me over that. I love it. See, these things matter. And they, they actually kind of remembering them or even voicing them sort of makes me super happy. It's like maybe the best part of my day. Thanks guys. Uh, all right. Well, with, with that in mind, um, this is what our, our data found. These are ways to um, encourage leaders to walk the walk, uh, which it, it, it sounds so simple and so easy to do, but uh, our research showed the majority of organizations didn't have leaders that were doing this to a high extent. Um, so since the strongest impact on culture, health, our data identified was the extent to which leaders consistently demonstrate organizational values, we dug deeper into these actions um, that can influence whether this happens at an organization. Um, some like training were significant, but the two that really stood out to us were these. Holding leaders accountable for employee outcomes accounted for about a third of how participants scored their leaders on their consistent demonstration of organizational values. Um, so if this is something you're interested in, we have a, a toolkit on um, how high performance organizations are doing this correctly. Um, I, I, I forgot to tell Zeta I was going to promote that, so hopefully she can find the link and post that as well. Um, more importantly, communicating organizational values to a high extent made the biggest difference in whether participants perceived their leaders to demonstrate organizational values to the highest extent. And maybe this helped them understand what behaviors to look for. Um, maybe strong communication of organizational values helps them keep those values top of mind and easily identify them. But this is probably one of the easiest lifts to improve your culture if your organization already has clearly defined values and behaviors ready. Um, so with that said, I have um, these are the six, by the way, uh, traits of a healthy culture. Um, I'm going to talk about how we came to these, but um, in the next couple of slides, we're going to do a, an exercise, so to speak. We're going to talk about a few of these and identify certain behaviors that would be affiliated with these values um, that would enable a change-ready organization, particularly when it comes to adapting technology. Um, so. Those stories about leaders walking the walk are important to remember and model as well, um, but also underscores those values are in how important those values are in defining desired behaviors. We asked participants to self-assess their culture and how it's changed over the past year using that scale of very healthy to very toxic. Um, but we also asked participants to describe their culture and we gave them 26 positive and negative traits from which to choose, including an other open response option. And they had to select the top five that best describe their culture. And it turns out fit cultures use similar language uh, when describing their culture. They, these are the six that rose to the top. So if any of these are top of mind when your employees are talking about your organization, it's a good indication you've got a healthy culture. So if you're seeing these in employee listening strategies, that's an excellent sign um, of healthy pockets within your organization or healthy organization overall. Um, and so we know leaders modeling the way has a big sway on culture and leaders modeling the way um, when organizational values are aligned to desired behaviors, um, those need to be clearly articulated. 
And so this activity, which we're going to do next, um, is really about defining the behaviors that support a change-ready culture or a change-embracing culture. An, an example, you know, um, no AI or no technology, for that matter, is ethically responsible. It takes a culture, the culture within which that technology is embedded, to create an ethically responsible technical or organization. Um, it can't be mandated by the board or the CEO. It is incumbent on each employee to apply the right technology to the right process with the right information to occur. And what if these six made up your organization's values? I'm just asking you to hypothesize. If these are your organizational values, what types of behaviors can we ascribe to one of these that would enable a responsible digital culture or a culture that embraces technology? And this is an exercise, again, where we're focusing on a change-ready culture as it, as it relates to technology, but you could do this exercise um, with any outcome in mind. You know, If you wanted to create an inclusive culture, you could take these values and then define behaviors that enabled an inclusive culture. And you'll see what I mean by that. So employee-focused. That was the, the first one you saw there. What are some behaviors that could define, um, in a, that, what are some behaviors that we could define if this was our organizational value that underscores an organization ready to embrace technological change? And as an example, just to get the juices flowing, here is one behavior we could, we could talk about. Ensuring employees are given the necessary tools and resources to adapt to new technologies. So again, I'm asking in the chat, if this were your organizational value, what's a behavior that you would articulate, that you could say is an aspirational desired behavior um, that would underscore an organization ready to embrace technological change that has to do with employee focus. This is the synthesization, the synthesization, uh, I can't talk today, <laughs> activity. Um, so, so making it about the employee, an employee focused uh, organization would do what in order to embrace technological change? What is a behavior or an action? And so as you're thinking about that and hopefully writing something in the chat, um, don't worry, I have, I have other examples of, of how one might do this with employee focus. Um, so another option would be a behavior that you could say is develop and train workers to effectively leverage generative AI. Oh, I see some coming in. Delivering on learning for new technologies related to job responsibilities. Absolutely, Robert, that's a great idea. Um, L&D activities that are available online and ready, yep. Um, that really makes it accessible to all the employees, makes it about the employees. Start with the why behind the need for this technology. I love that, Diane. Um, I've heard a lot lately, actually, about from organizations that are, that are talking about performance management and development, and they're saying, we need to do more to make sure that the employee knows that the onus is also on them to create their development plan, um, to create their future career. You know, it can't just be the, the organization and the leader, you know, a top-down effort to develop the employee. The employee, is, it takes two to tango, right? And so starting with that why and that communication, I think is really a great idea and super important right now. Yeah, I love I love some of the, if you combine some of these, like many are mentioning the need for training, uh, but the best training includes the why up front in the training. Uh, people learn better if they understand the why uh, the with them, the what's in it for me. Uh, so absolutely, I'm, I'm loving these responses that are coming in. I love it. The dedicated day to learning. That's fantastic. Um, making the technologies available through self-service or a work leader user group. Yep, that, that does too. And I liked Robert's other idea about creating excitement um, as well. Ooh, Cordell. This is the fantastic. 
generative AI, okay, uh, develop job descriptions and tell us, tell those involved in making job descriptions how things will change, show them how it will look, what it will look like, and then practice how making job descriptions with generative AI actually gets done. That is a great way to put this all together. I really appreciate that. So as those are all in, I'm just gonna give you a couple more of my, uh, my examples on, on this one in particular. Um, and you guys will get the deck uh, as well from, from this. It will be available, I believe. So you can pour over more of these in, in your spare time if you'd like, um, if you know, employee focus is a value of your organization. Um, we're gonna try that, behave, that behaviors exercise with just a, a few more of those six um, healthy traits of healthy cultures. Uh, inclusive was the next one. Um, and the example I have here is encouraging crowdsourcing and multi-method approaches to brainstorming use cases. Um, so bringing, you know, allowing everybody to have input on where the organization tests new technology or what processes they might automate. Um, and also, um, you know, doing that through multi-methods because not everybody participates in an ERG. Um, not everybody uh, answers surveys uh, or participates in focus groups. And so you really have to take a multi-communication method um, for this type of listening activity. So again, if, if inclusive is one of your dominant cultural traits or one that you're trying to promote, uh, share in the chat. Uh, again, if, if you were looking to, to focus on technology in the organization, how would you uh, be emphasizing inclusivity um, more greatly? I, I, going back to the issue of training, you, you mentioned multi-method here, same thing would apply with training. Uh, Good inclusive training involves multiple learning modalities. Um, there's there's sort of a myth in the LND world around learning styles, but there but it is an absolute truth that people have different learning preferences. Different people prefer to learn in different ways, and that can actually uh, engage you know some people more than others. Uh, whether it's auditory, visual, kinesthetic, and so on, um, you know those are those are preferences that people have for how they learn and what you prefer. Can, can greatly impact how much you learn, how quickly you learn, and, and it can greatly influence the, accessi the accessibility of the training that's been provided as well. So a key marker there of inclusivity. Yeah. Here's another example to get the juices flowing. Uh, make sure everyone has access to the same training resources. While some people in their jobs might use technology in different ways, um, making sure that everybody has the ability to upskill, I, I think, promotes inclusivity. So you may not be using it now, but you have access to it if this is something you, where you wanna go and you wanna learn more about it and maybe do more of this in your next, in your next uh, role. And these are just a few others. Like and Robert's the, example, actually giving support and help uh, to others. Yes. Safety. Diane, once again, coming through with a good answer, giving people safe opportunities to share their concerns about the new technology, also how to learn. Safety uh, safety is a big factor in, in being comfortable in learning. Mm -hmm. And because there is a lot of fear and concern when change is involved, um, this multi-cross-functional group, not multi, this cross-functional group suggestion here has come up at, at several organizations that I think do change management very well taking people from different levels and functions and demographic groups and um, you know, having a working group uh, or a council that talks about the implementation um, can, can help you also surface those unexpected, unintended consequences of change um, that you don't foresee coming, um, but also just can help uh, cross-pollinate information, share information, 
um, and make and uh, assuage fear and concern, right? I think education um, and awareness helps stimmy fear and concern. And so having, you know, more voices, not only just providing input on how this gets done, um, but also taking information back to whatever group they represent um, can be a big strategy there. Use online whiteboarding space as a tool versus just depending on Zoom, which tends to be very verbal. Very true, Shifang. Give people safe opportunity. Yes, we already talked about that in Cordell. That's awesome. All right, so moving on to the next example, quality-centered. Um, so that was a that was a trait that also again was one of the the six common traits of healthy the healthiest organizations. Um, and my example here for quality centers make increased quality and reduced human error a KPI or outcome of AI use cases. So as organizations are putting together say an AI strategy or AI framework, for instance, um, making sure that the outcomes they're going to test for and evaluate include increased quality of, of whatever it is, the, the process, the product, the, the service, um, and reduced human, human error, which enables quality as well. Um, those are, are two outcomes that we're seeing a lot of high performance organizations seeing already within their use, their implementation of generative AI. So that would be an example of a behavior that could be identified uh, with a value of quality centered. And this is just data um, from that AI HR study that I referenced that's coming out in September. Um, we asked what kinds of outcomes is your organization experiment, experiencing from uh, experimentation or use of generative AI in HR. So this is also just a category of the participants that were already ex experimenting or using generative AI in HR. Um, we asked them what outcomes they're seeing already at this point. Um, and you can see uh, it's too soon to tell there at the bottom. Uh, this is broken out also in our you know, characteristic way of high performance organizations versus low performance organizations. And you can see low performance organizations are far more likely to say it's too soon to tell. Um, the top outcomes organizations we're seeing were time savings and increased productivity. And you can see there is some differential between high pose and low pose. But when you talk about enhanced quality as the outcome that, that um, leaders are seeing as a result of their implementation of generative AI in HR, um, high performance organizations are more than four times more likely to see to be noticing that enhanced quality um, and reduced human error you can see below is about 2x. So. Yeah, I love that. I'm seeing enhanced quality with the biggest delta between the high performance organizations and, and the low sort of stands out to me here. Uh, I know, Catherine, both you and I love, even though it's a little further down on the chart, the ability to divert employees to new projects and tasks. I think that's a, a real win uh, for, for using generative AI and for using AI and automation more generally. Also, just want to call out um, the fact that you know a lot of the sensational headlines around AI, around ChatGPT or generative AI in particular, you know, talk about oh, you know, how many people will lose their jobs. And yes, that's one possibility when we're talking about cost savings here. Certainly makes the makes the chart. But with all changes uh, or initiatives to improve things in organizations, typically you're looking at the big three time, cost, or quality. Uh, and it's rare that you can impact all three positively. But many organizations will find with AI automation, generative AI, and so on, that they will be able to choose to do that and find a balance between maybe some cost savings um, that, that may come from having fewer employees in, in certain areas of the organization. But in many cases, you'll have just as many employees, but you'll be doing things faster 
time savings, or you'll be doing things better, enhanced quality, reduced human error, uh, and so on. So uh, it, it's a real opportunity in organizations to look at the, the, that classic trio, time, cost, and quality, uh, and figure out where you want to have uh, the preponderance of your benefits come from here. That's a really good point, um, Tom. Thank you for illuminating that. The three, I love that. It's the three horsemen of successful change. Um, one more example, so learning organization, what are behaviors we could identify that would enable a culture that is change ready, that embraces technological change? Um, and the, the example I have here is provide ongoing training and development opportunities. We've talked a lot about that, right? Um, it's also worth, Leo has just posted, it's also worth thinking about new roles that will be created and required as well. Very good point, Leo, about generative AI, absolutely. Um, and there's a lot of adjacent skills that could help fit those new roles within the organization. We have to identify those as well. That's another important strategy. Um, but so if you were, if you have a learning culture, that if you have a learning organization, learning is one of your organizational values, what are the behaviors that you would identify that, that should be the desired stated communicated behaviors um, in order to enable a change ready, a technological change ready culture? Um, really good point, Stacey. Also, keep going back to generative AI. It is uh, the topic du jour. Um, so uh, she asked about the, the known challenge with data information generated um, using, using generative AI. So those hallucinations um, or inaccurate data that it can sometimes produce. Um, that a behavior that could, um, that could be quality centered would be having processes that involve generative AI that require a human interface. So a human gatekeeper, so to speak, with the expertise and knowledge to take whatever that model produces and not only fact check it, um, but Im Im improve it, right? Um, and, and make it, tailor it to the organization's needs even better. Um, that human expertise is still so critical uh, when it comes to working with AI or in generative AI specifically. Um, just because generative AI is, 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 um, is so great at first drafts. And that's really how like we should start thinking about it is it's a first draft enabler. That's what, that's what it makes. Um, and then it, the human needs to work with it to, to improve the output. But other learning examples, reward people for taking initiative for their own learning. That is absolutely a fantastic one when I, Diane, great job. Drives importance of upskilling and reskilling in an organization as well. Yeah, Stacy, so true. Any other behaviors? Show and teach people where to find resources throughout the internet to learn about new tech and other items. Show them the tool. I love that. I, I think that's a fantastic idea. We need to also, I think, go back to showing people um, how to uh, how to go verify sources, right? How to how to look at where information is coming from when generative AI produces it, and whether those are actually the right sources from which to to pull. I often find when I ask um, generative AI large language models for the the sources that enabled their response, um, I get articles that not from the not from the the best. <laughs> or neutral sources, let's just say that, um, or, or very dated information. So that can also be one of the there. forms of, that can also be one of the forms of hallucination. Oftentimes, ChatGPT in particular will make up references or make up sources for some of the things it's claiming are, 
are true. Uh, gotta love Leo's response here. Thanks for that little plug, Leo, saying I4CP's website is a, is a great source for information on these things. And I'd like to call out our colleague, uh, Judy Elbers, and her AI toolkit, which is available to I4CP members. Um, that in particular for uh, HR uses of AI uh, is, a great, uh, is a great tool for, for HR people to upskill themselves. Absolutely. So fantastic ideas here. I know we are, we're getting close to the end of our time. Um, so just to move on from that exercise, um, this is from the original report where we talked about cultures of learning and healthy cultures. Um, knowledge sharing is common among um, those organizations with the healthiest cultures. Uh, senior leaders and frontline leaders are trained on the desired behaviors. Um, even middle managers uh, should be probably be included because we, as we saw in, in that past slide, how important that can make a difference um, in terms of uh, driving a healthier culture. Um, internal mobility is formalized and a talent marketplace is in, in place. And those were findings um, from the Culture Fitness Report that really helped enable uh, the learning value and from what we found in our research. Um, one of the things that I like to talk about, so I do teach still at UNLV. Um, before I joined I4CP, I was a research uh, assistant research professor in the School of Leadership, in the School of Public Policy and Leadership. And, um, and we had classes where we talked about organizational change and organization change theory. Um, and you know, we talk about what is a learning organization. And, um, and it's really hard to define, but one of the things I just, I love to articulate is like organizations don't learn. An organization is a, you know, it's a, a fiction in our head and a shared idea that we all understand, but it is the humans and the human processes and behaviors, really the culture that enable an organization to build new knowledge and share and act on knowledge and then evaluate. Um, and this is like a sort of a routine process, but you, you can have really, you know, uh, key high performing employees um, and if they're not sharing their knowledge or someone isn't enabling them to share their knowledge uh, with others, um, they leave and that, that knowledge, those skills are gone, right? So we, the, the learning and sh uh, the sharing part is really important and how do we do that? Um, because people who are really skilled and have lots of knowledge aren't necessarily the best teachers also. Um, so they need learning and development professionals um, and, and really like HR, human capital experts um, to help them share information to make the organization a learning or true learning organization. And so for our last poll real quickly, uh, we wanted to emphasize personal learning because that is a huge part also of a learning organization and creating agile cultures. And so we wanted to ask, how are you personally um, using generative AI at work? You know, are you, are you not, you know, that is an option here, um, but are, are you using it for, for any of these or for other purposes? Um, in your day-to-day -day activities and doing active, you know, experiential learning. And this is definitely a select all that apply. I know some folks have started using it, as you said earlier, uh, creating drafts or uh, writing, you know, initial versions of things like job descriptions, interview questions if you're a manager of people or in TA, um, can be multiple. Mm -hmm. While we're waiting for those results, we can also just populate this slide here, which I know is an important one. Yeah, I'll speak to that while we're waiting on these results. Um, all of our Next Practice Weekly sessions now qualify for recertification credits with both HRCI and SHRM. Uh, so if you uh, have a, an accreditation with either of those organizations and are looking for recert 
credit hours by attending this session, you, you qualify for one hour there. So just jot down the program ID and or activity ID, whichever is relevant for you. And now let's return back to our poll and see the results. And it looks like about half of you on the call who participated in the poll said you're not using it yet, but the other half had a pretty even spread across drafting, whether it's personal emails, policies, job descriptions, interview questions, all getting some, anywhere from 10 to 35% to it looks like. Absolutely, and that almost mirrors what we found in our, in our survey of 1,500 participants. Um, but it was, I wanna say 39% of, of your peers aren't using it for work. Um, and a little bit more, we're using it for, I mean, the, the largest number of responses, we're using it for researching information, which really speaks to like using ChatGPT, using BARD and Bing as, as your next version of Google, you know. One thing I'll, I'll note here too, and, and I know Catherine, you, you agree on this and Judy does as well, and, and, and Kevin Oaks and others at I4CP is, if your organization has told you you can't use ChatGPT or you know they've locked it down, they haven't brought it behind the firewall yet, which all these organizations will eventually because it'll be built into Office 365 and the Google Office uh, suite. So eventually everyone will be using these tools. I would encourage you uh, at home to at least experiment with where you can with whether it's mid-journey for image creation, uh, chat GPT for text Q&A. Um, I've got a trip coming up soon and I'm gonna be taking a vacation. I'm gonna ask it, create an itinerary for me at, at my destination. Um, There's simple things you can do like that that aren't necessarily work-related, but you, you will be learning some skills on a work-related tool, something that will find its way into your office down the road. So I'd encourage you to do that. So for the 50% of you that aren't using it at work, I hope you're at least exploring it uh, in your personal life. Absolutely. I just recently asked it to create an itinerary for our family's upcoming trip to Voyagers National Park. Um, and I got some great, honestly, I got great sources, great sites to go visit for the real information. Um, that was the, the real action. If you want to learn more about building healthy cultures, I4CP has got you handled. Um, our, our CEO wrote the book on it, literally. Uh, this is Culture Renovation to Build Unshakable, an, an Unshakable Company. Um, it has 18 sequenced uh, actionable strategies that you can use in your organization that will enable change. Um, but we also have these other resources as well, um, a culture renovation assessment, culture renovation workshops, um, case studies, and more. Thank you for listening to this episode of I4CP's Next Practices Weekly podcast. I encourage you to join us live for these discussions each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific time so that you can ask questions of our guests and co-hosts and participate in the conversation. Just go to i4cp.com forward slash events to register. We hope you'll keep tuning in as I4CP brings you more great HR executives to discuss how high performance organizations are leveraging best and next practices in HR. Also want to remind everyone uh, of our Next Practices Now conference. Again, this is now open for official registration next March 25th through the 28th in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, you can register now if you're already making travel plans for the new year. Thank you, and we hope you have a great and productive week ahead.